podcast app. You see, there's a discourse happening. Is this book a masterpiece or problematic? One's a lifelong diehard fan, the other's a first time reader. Both are really smart and funny and attractive. Sweet feathers, sweet feathers. Hello there. Uh, can we talk about your outfit before we go into anything else? Sure. Listeners, Pardo is wearing kind of a chunky. Oh my god, I feel like I'm on the cover. I you like are I'm on the, the cover. cover. Pardo is wearing like a chunky knit sweater over like a pink collared shirt, and it's very schoolgirl, and it's working. Thank you. Um, and just to clarify for you, yeah. The shirt is striped, sort of rainbow multicolored, actually. Oh. So at the top, you're getting pink and also orange. Oh, I did. I was not. Unfortunately, my vantage did not make that available to me. I will say it's kind of giving kind of Taylor Swift's lover's tour with an evermore sweater overlay. And I am here for it. I don't know what that means, but thank yeah. you. That's, I mean, my Taylor Swift is your real housewives is kind of where we are. I thought you were going to comment on my hair being different. It's kind of, listeners, her hair is kind of pulled half up. So it's half up, half down. It's actually very the whole The whole thing is giving kind of Elizabeth. I actually, yeah. I don't want to tell you who I really think it's giving because I think you might be angry. Marie Patman? <laughs> the demon? <laughs> no, I feel like it's giving Edith a little bit. It's very bookish. Oh, just, yeah, sure. Oh, I was actually going to say I have a passage and... Before we get into the cliffhanger, I'd, okay. I'd like wanna... to start us with a passage. Sure, let's open our hymnals. Fatherhood, in the sense of conscious begetting, is unknown to man. It is a mystical estate, an apostolic succession, from only begetter to only begotten. On that mystery, and not on the Madonna, which the cunning Italian intellect flung to the mob of Europe. The church is founded and founded irremovably because founded like the world, a macro, a microcosm upon the void, upon, don't give me that look, please, hold on, upon incertitude, upon unlikelihood, amor mattress, subjective and objective genitive may be the only true thing in life. Paternity may be a legal fiction. Who is the father of any son that any son should love him or he any son? <laughs> Midway through, I was like, she is absolutely having a stroke. Once you got to do like the genitive stuff, I was like, oh, she's gone. You back? Any guesses? Uh, no, no, I don't have any guesses. I mean, it seemed like a word poem. Like, is it Gertrude Stein or something? I mean, no sense. It's actually from Ulysses. Oh, that makes sense. Why it makes no sense. James Joyce. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Never read it. Never read it. But, but um, what possessed you to Google random fatherhood passage from James Joyce's Ulysses? That is actually not what I googled. <laughs> what I googled. What I googled is the phrase "paternity is a legal fiction." Oh, because that is one of the big themes of our book today. Okay, Sweet Valley High, number sixteen, rags to riches. We'll get into it. Great. But first, let's give me your six-word review. Money changes everything, 
but eh, boring. What? I love this one. Okay. I will I mean, love it. Through our conversation, I will grow to love it. That's kind of sometimes what happens. Some of the books burn on their own and some need your kindling to start the fire. But I know that you brought ample <laughs> kindling, so I'm not worried. I mean, I don't know that book kindling. I, no, I enjoyed this one. Okay, let me do it. Um, Demon Gold Diggers Cheers with Lemonade. <laughs> I love that part. That's the best part of the whole book. Yeah, I thought that was the part that I thought was the most fun and Listeners, we're going to summarize it in a second, but there's some scheming with involving Jessica aligning herself conspiratorially with Mrs. Marie Patman. It's like Cruella DeVille. It's like, yeah. I don't, it's like she makes Mrs. Devlin look like a walk in the park, look like Trisha Martin, <laughs> RIP. Oh, hey, too soon. <laughs> may her memory be a blessing. May her memory be for a blessing. May, we, may you have long life, but still, too soon. Um, So, cliffhanging. Mm. It's even stranger than that, Elizabeth said slowly. Olivia Davidson just called. Roger's mother died this morning. Gee, that's too bad, Jessica shook her head. But it's not that surprising. That wasn't all Liv told me. Jessica, you're not going to believe this. Do you know who Paul Patman was? Sure, Bruce Patman's uncle, the one who was killed in the plane crash. He was even more loaded than Bruce's dad. But what's that got to do with Roger Barrett? Jess? It turns out Mr. Barrett wasn't Roger's real father. Even Roger didn't know the truth, but now it's out. His real father was Paul Patman. Jessica's draw jo- dropped in astonishment. You mean, she groped for words. Elizabeth nodded. Yes, Jess, Roger is going to live with the Patman. What's more, he's just become the richest boy in Sweet Valley. Now Roger is rich as Bruce, but how much will he have to change to fit into the Patman's world? Find out in Sweet Valley High 16, Rags to Riches. That's mm. the cliffhanger. I actually think I actually think there's so much here. I really like this one. Okay. We could go into plot summary unless you want to talk about... Summary, summary, summary. Roger Barrett has come into a large inheritance and has moved into the Patman estate where he is basically made to feel unwelcome because he doesn't fit in and isn't as fancy and isn't as good as Bruce. And Robert, in their summarizing of the plot, has reinforced the erasure of a very important in theory plot point, which is the death of Roger's mother. Yeah. Okay, Roger has come into an inheritance and moved into the Patrick estate because his mother died. So let's just... But of course, I'm half joking, but that is, I think, something for us to discuss. And I think it was actually something you predicted last time when I asked you. Your predictions were very close. You got the utensils drama, which (laughs) fork, you got that spot on. And you also got the complete kind of erasure of the fact of that death. So so where did you end off? Sorry. (laughs) He moved in? (laughs) Yeah, he moved in and he's unwelcome. Yeah, he and his hippie thrift store wearing girlfriend, frizzy haired Olivia, are both struggling in some ways to adapt to the changes. And Jessica, who has a newfound interest in Roger, schemes with Mrs. Patman, the mother of Bruce. And they scheme together because she is trying to get like Roger to behave in the correct high class way. And she thinks Olivia is too poor and low class for him. So she likes how Jessica kind of gets how to behave in this world. And she and Jessica conspire basically 
to get rid of Olivia and to get Jessica sort of to take uh, Olivia's place, at least as his date for the big country club dance. Because of course, if your mother dies two weeks later, you need a big formal dance at the country club to deal with that. And uh, do you think this end... is a sentence? Is that how you, you're feeling? Are you thinking this is a sentence? Okay, fine, period. <laughs> In the end, it doesn't work. Olivia and Roger get back together and everything is fine. And it turns out that Bruce Patman's dad actually may be kind of great. And that's the book. Yeah. And I don't know, like, there's so much good stuff in this one. Like, we get Jessica listening to a Walkman doing Jane Fonda. Like, there's just so much fun, random things in it. I love the Jane Fonda. Sorry. Yeah. I, I love the and Jane Fonda. One of the greatest lines of life, when the businessman says to the other businessman, I still can't believe you bought that stock when I told you to sell. <laughs> and that's the conversation. That's the entire conversation. <laughs> you know me. I don't know how stocks work. I thought it's fine. Is that I died. Fun? Oh, and I thought you might like also the sort of B plot where Jessica's selling painted T-shirts to raise money for the charity. <laughs> and at one point, it turns out they're actually cookies. They're also she's selling cookies too. It's very she's strange. Felt, you know what? You know, say what you will about Jessica. She is very creative when it comes to fundraising. Mm-hmm. And throughout the series, you're going to see, and I don't want to spoil. But she she has creative ideas about how to raise money for stuff. Okay, that's one of her skill sets. Anyway, all right, title and cover. Hit me with that couve. Hit me with your cover. Wait, Come sorry. On first, let's do with your cover. First, first, let's do taglines. Okay, so the title, of course, is Rags to Riches. Do you want to guess the taglines? Everything changes when money's involved. <laughs> I love that. It's so kind of matter of fact. Um, <laughs> no, you want a couple more guesses? Um. Will Roger fit in with the ritzy new world of the Patmans? Great guess. One more. Which fork is this? <laughs> There's so much fork drama, listeners. So much fork drama. A lot of fork play. You know, play. <laughs> I wish, I wish I could tell you that on the back it said which fork is this. That's really, really funny. No, on the back is Roger strikes it rich, dot dot dot. Okay. Kind of nothing. And on the front, look who's after Roger Barrett! Exclamation point. Okay, it's Jessica. <laughs> it's Jessica, as you will see on the cover. Oh my God, Roger looks great. <laughs> oh, oh, is he wearing several shirts? One of which yes. is popped. Oh, he that looks is like a full wasp. Like, yeah, he's got a very small. It's so this cover is really confusing, actually, mm. because. Roger is well-dressed. He's wearing a blazer, a button-down, and a polo shirt that has popped. He is kind of confidently crossing his arms in front of his body. He's looking off into the distance with, like, a self-assured gaze. It's very... What moment could this be from the text in which Roger is kind of happily looking into the future and Jessica is wearing, like, a pink spaghetti strap tank top and, of course, gold lavalier... And looking at him with kind of mirth in her eyes and a wink in her smile. May I propose that it's combining two different moments from the book? Great. Him in the outfit maybe is when he's at the suit shop with Mr. Patman. Mr. Patman takes him suit shopping. Then that's a moment where he really has a thought to himself of like, I could get used to this or like, I could enjoy okay. the Patman. It's like, it's in the book. One of the first moments is when he's in his like new suit or whatever. And then I think it could be combined with like when they have the tennis 
because that's also yeah. he's not wearing a tennis outfit here but that's also a moment where he's really kind of basking in the glory of the Patman estate and he's really enjoying playing tennis and Olivia feels so alienated and Jessica's like so happy and into it and like they're both kind of aligned in that way in that moment it just it's very strange it does not what is strange about it for you Why? it just doesn't set the reader up for what the book is about. I think part of it is just the comfort that he feels in his new clothes, which like the whole book is about the discomfort he feels with his new wealth. And she doesn't even really look scheming. She looks like kind of sweetly interested. There's like maybe a bit of a play in her eyes, but it's it's certainly not the conniving look that we've sometimes seen. Her smile seems sort of, I don't know how to put this, but sweet. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting that it shows him in the moment of his enjoying it. Because I guess part of the sort of tension and question of the book is like, is he going to get used to this? Mm-hmm. Is he going to enjoy it too much or whatever to where he like quote unquote changes, right? And then I think what it's also supposed to do, of course, is provide the, like, when we saw him on the previous cover, Racing Hearts, we saw rags. Now we're seeing riches. That's so it. the reason we're shown the picture of riches is because like we have something to contrast it to. Whereas if this one showed sort of Roger Barrett, it's like this, the book I think in some ways is about role versus identity and Mm. can, what happens when Roger Barrett, quote unquote, like becomes Roger Patman and can he fit in to this? And I thought one of the things that was so beautifully, beautifully depicted in this book was the contrast between Bruce and both Bruce and Jessica's ease in Mm. these elite settings and in communicating with these elite wealthy high status like people and and also their physical ease like even Jessica being able to balance stuff while she's holding it and like just you know knowing how to talk to adults and Bruce knowing how to lie to the Fergusons in a charismatic way whereas Olivia and Roger are sort of constantly fumbling spilling wine like they just are so physically uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and this question of like how much of that is born or how much of that can be taught and how much of that is money and how much of it is some other kind of intangible class or this type of savvy yeah Um, i mean famously of course money can't buy you class exactly a weird possible reading i don't know if there's that much support for this in racing hearts Mm -hmm. when jessica was sort of alternating between these stances of teasing roger Versus sort of like, he could be kind of cute and mm. like defending him to Lila, but like, I would never date him myself. But like, is he kind of cute and sort of admiring him in some ways? We saw then that she was in her own sort of conflict of like being attracted to and interested in Dennis. But part of the reason she couldn't date him was because he was only 15 and like doesn't have a car. In the same way she would tease Lila of dating someone poor who doesn't have a car. It's like they have these rules and they can't break them, right? And I almost wondered to myself, like, what if Jessica actually did kind of have a crush on him in Racing Hearts. And now that he's rich, it can sort of like be permissible in that way. And that like part of her smiling at him on the cover, it's like maybe she's she's not just smiling at the new Roger. Like maybe mm. she actually did admire that like when she started working and realized how tedious work was. And then she saw that he was working hard and she had been learning about that while she was observing him. And like, even though she was teasing him and making fun of him and was going to weaponize his being a janitor and stuff like, she did also defend him sometimes. And it would also really give a lot of meaning to the t- tagline, look who's after Roger Barrett, because it should say, look who's after Roger Patman. Yeah. Right? If the front is going to show him in the suit and it's going to show Jessica after him when she's so according to the narrative is like after him because he's rich. 
it should say Roger Patman. The whole book's about he's Roger Patman now. He's Roger Patman now. I will also say it makes the one of that's one of the stories I told myself because it makes the book much easier to read because otherwise Jessica is truly just behaving monstrously. And it's much nicer to read the book as if, sure, she's conniving and she's throwing Olivia under the bus and making Olivia look bad. But that's really just because she actually likes Roger. And so she does want what's best for him and she wants him. I'm surprised. I love your close analysis of look who's after Roger Barrett and how it should say look who's after Roger Patman. This like obsession with legacy and paternity being a legal fiction or what have you, like who's after Roger Patman or Roger Barrett means both who is interested in him, i.e. Jessica, and who follows him? Who will he bequeath his legacy to? Well, Roger Barrett w- wouldn't have had a legacy. Roger exactly. Patman will be thinking about such things. Yeah. I need to just say something straight up. Okay. I think when we did the cliffhanger from last time where it was revealed that his mother died and he had been the illegitimate child of Bruce's uncle Paul who died in a crash. And we talked about like, isn't it convenient that like, it feels like it should be Bruce's dad, but like they make it, Paul, this like random supposed uncle who's like completely not here now to like have been the one to do the infidelity because it's like too bad to say or whatever. But based on this book, I believe that like this book is actually explicitly telling the story of like Henry Patman, Bruce's father, is the father of Roger. Paul was not the father. I think there's evidence starting with the first line of the book. He is actually the son of Henry. And so I think what we were, or at least I was before I read this analytically, last time thinking was like, they don't want to make it be about infidelity or something Mm -hmm. of like, oh, what, Henry Patman can't have a love child. He's too good or something. But it's like, no, this is about Henry Patman having a love child. And like, he's lying and they're sort of colluding in this. And that's why Marie is so fucking triggered by Roger and literally can't look at his face. Okay, why? Because he shares a punim with her husband who's so warm to Roger. And how warm he is seems to really bother Marie. I guess she's just the evil old bitch with no reason to hate Roger and no reason to find random things to dislike about him, even though he's obviously such a great kid. And when he says, I want to practice medicine, one of the most prestigious things you could say, she finds even something wrong to say about that, says, oh, it's messy. It's like she's obsessed with hating him. And I guess it's just because she's a demon. Well, no, I don't think so. It's because she knows that that is actually it's Arnold, not Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, he moved in the child of his mistress. Did Arnold Schwarzenegger do that? Well, he didn't move in the child of his mistress, but he had a child with the housekeeper. And I believe the housekeeper and the child actually both did live with them. So yeah, he sort of raised, yeah, I I believe it was something like that. You know what? I'm going to cut this because I don't know. But the point is, I think there's evidence in the text for that. And that is my, and that's why I read the, and that's why I read the legal fiction thing. I still, I want to be clear. I absolutely still do not understand that. Really? I will never understand. The, the, the James Joyce genitive, blah, 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 blah. It seemed like, no, the first, apostolic the first five sentences didn't make sense but okay <laughs> the, but just the point of the paternity legal fiction means like basically before dna paternity was a legal fiction in the sense that like it gets decided by law but like you can't actually prove it mm. whereas like you could know who your mom is for sure you never really know who your dad is for sure kind of thing and so that's this... i think book is about that Okay, so this book, obviously, I assume comes before the Maury Povis show and the whole he's the father, he's not the father situation. This is a, a world before that. Did Francine invent Maury Povich? Yes. Without question, yes. So that takes us to 
the first line of the text and I will go no further. So how does it feel to turn into a millionaire son overnight? Olivia Davidson asked Roger Barrett. I mean, I highlighted this and thought, clear your schedule, ladies. It's going to be a long one. Yeah. So can I just speed do some and then you do speed, speed run, do speed run. Okay. Number one and most important, which millionaire's son is he? Mm-hmm. Okay. He's not Paul's son. According to me, he's <laughs> actually Henry Bruce's dad. Number two, being a millionaire's son is an identity. It's a thing that you are. Number three, it is a thing you become. So he has the ability to inhabit this role. It's something that he can also potentially do overnight. It's also bringing in the question of the tension of, can he do this overnight? Now that he has the money, can he automatically acquire the social capital and the skill set and the fluency in this world that he needs in order to kind of display that identity coherently? Also, also the ambiguity of, um, is he also a millionaire? Right. That's yes. Because here's the thing. To my understanding, and please correct me, but I'm going to say as I understand the actual money situation, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, the died-in-a-plane-crash supposed dad of Roger, right, according to the story, quote-unquote tried to give, or after he died, Henry, whatever, tried to give Roger's mom money, but she wouldn't take it. Right. So they both knew that Paul was the real dad of Roger. Fine. But... For some reason, unbeknownst to Roger's mom, and I don't know why this wouldn't be announced to her, um, Paul, his whole inheritance is going to Roger in the form of a trust. But it's not, it didn't say that he doesn't get it until he turns 21. It said he doesn't know about it till he turns 21. Unless but, something happens to his mommy. And, unless something happens to his mommy. But it didn't say what the rules are after something happens to his mommy. So I was there wondering, okay, so since that nail clause has been taken away, obviously he now knows about this trust, but does he also have access to it? Or is it the case that he has no money till he's 21? When does he get what? And like, can he claim this identity or not? Mm -hmm. And can he claim this space or not? Or is he still sort of conditional under the Patman's roof kind of thing? We didn't actually talk about the title Rags to Riches. Oh, yeah. And the only thought I really had on it was it feels like a fairy tale. It's very much a trope, whereas like not all of our titles are sort of a (laughs) tropified trope in the culture, as we've discussed. Sometimes we struggle with them. Can I offer a reading? Sorry, (laughs) then I'll stop talking. This is the last thing I'll ever say. (laughs) I look forward to it. I wondered if part of that was reflecting like Roger's own psychology especially when he starts to enjoy what this new life is affording him. This all happened because of his mom's death, right? He was able to get all these good things because of a loss. And so that sort of tension of like inheritance, the good things being contingent on the death, I think could raise a lot of guilt for him. I I could see that. I think for me, it makes more sense just like, that's not fun. And this book is supposed to kind of be fun. I think it's the book is supposed to be kind of frothy. In a, yeah, like, in a counterpoint to, you know, like, say, Trisha dying. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah. Fair, um, fair enough. So my attention was called to this first line, mostly just because it's a weird thing to ask. Like, the natural <laughs> question for Olivia, if you even take out the, does he have the money, does he not have the money? Because Olivia doesn't know and doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. If you're a 16-year-old in mm-hmm. school and someone suddenly becomes the richest boy in your world, mm-hmm. it's weird to be like, how does it feel to turn into a millionaire's son overnight? The natural question is like, how does it feel to be a millionaire? And the idea that we're focused on the fact that he is a son rather than he is a millionaire is interesting to me. And in some ways, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a ton on this, but it feels like 
Olivia can't deal with a millionaire. That would be too much of a chasm to jump. And so she's humanizing and saying, well, you're just a son. It just so happens that you're a millionaire's son. When really the chasm is because it's not that he's a millionaire's son. It's that he's a millionaire. That's what actually matters. Yeah. And, you know, if we think of it sort of from the Altazar perspective of there's a lot of interpolation happening in this book. And I think what she's offering is sort of a compromise. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. He doesn't actually respond to the question. So if we think about the kind of hail in the response, he doesn't answer. He says, I can't believe this is happening. He and, does go on to answer. He says, it's also strange. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to think about anything. So he is kind of answering, but you're right that it, it's mm -hmm. not substantive or meaningful. It's also in some ways kind of an unanswerable question. How does it feel to turn into a millionaire's son overnight? Like, huh? How much time yes, do you have to, for me to parse through the idea of like, I was lied to my whole life. My mom just passed away. I'm now an orphan. Like, it just feels like kind of a light question. And the answer has got to be very, very serious. You really want to get into it. It's such a strange thing to say. And I almost wonder if me, like, maybe that's kind of reflecting the tension. Like, she's poking mm. him a little bit of, like, because her whole anxiety about, like, him getting comfortable with this. Mm. So maybe she's even provoking it. Like, so how does it feel to be a millionaire son? I would replace your kind of very aggressive tone with something that's just, like, a little more awkward and uncomfortable. Because he replies and says, this is the first time we've been alone all week. So mm. maybe they're, like, still kind of renegotiating their kind of relationship and closeness, what with all of this change? Just the way he describes it. It's also strange. One minute I'm Roger Barrett, a total nothing from a terrible family. And the next minute my mother's so sick. And Mr. Patman, uh, I mean Uncle Henry, is sending her to Houston for an operation. And then she's dead. And as soon as the funeral's over, all these lawyers are swarming all over me, telling me I'm not Roger Barrett after all, but the son of Paul Patman. These things are framed as like mutually exclusive right it's like he can't be roger barrett anymore mm -hmm. and then he says i don't know what to think about anything anymore which makes and, sense yeah like his and whole I, life has been turned upside down it just feels like he's really focused on the paul patman of it all which makes sense but it's like there are lots of other aspects of your life that have also been turned upside down that you're just kind of erasing ignoring not dealing with not confronting no i mean it's this is a lot and i thought I thought it was so nicely done what Olivia's perspective was and how it's been a lot for her too. Like it says, talks about how she had stuck by him when he was teased about being a janitor and then how they've been in love. And she thinks, but being in love with Roger is like being on a roller coaster. First, I had to help him realize that it didn't matter how poor his family was, that I didn't care about his background. And now suddenly he's a millionaire living in Patman Mansion, which is also kind of interesting way to phrase this. Yeah. Like, that's what the roller coaster is. Yeah, I totally. And agree. like, first I had to help him realize it's like, so do you resent that work you put in or something? I don't know. There's some resentment of like, oh, so that's all mood. <laughs> Which is weird because I'm just going to say from personal experience, if I were dating someone and it turned out all of a sudden that they got super wealthy, at no point would I be like resentful or angry. Whatever labor I put in to get me here, I'm just turning full gold digger mode. Except full Marie Patton. Well, that's the Jessica perspective, but Olivia's concern that she then expresses a couple pages later is she's wondering what place Roger Barrett's girlfriend would have in Roger Patman's new life. And I think she's already anticipating that she's going to be experiencing oh. uh, discomfort and feel that she maybe doesn't fit in and stuff like that. So she may not get come along for the ride. 
Yeah. Plus, I what are you going to do with all those Indian wraparound skirts? <laughs> so many skirts. So many just ill-fitting, strange clothing. Roger and Olivia are talking and Olivia asks Roger, like, do you feel like telling me the actual story of like what happened with your mom and Paul Patman? I've been hearing these rumors. Like, if you feel like talking about it. And we get the story according to Uncle Henry. Yeah. Not according to any court documents. Okay. Yeah, I knew that uh, we were going to home in on according to Uncle Henry. So at the time, Henry was living with his brother, Paul, who was married to this woman everyone hated. And that, I think, is supposed to make the infidelity story okay. Because we get the detail that Paul's wife was some sort of demon woman, like all the... Nicole, uh, really. a, a lot of the mean moms in, in these books. Well, I guess my mother fell in love with Paul Patman and they spend more and more time together and... Roger stopped, his face turning red. I understand, Roger, Olivia said softly. And then his mom, like moved away when she found out she was pregnant paul tried quote unquote to divorce his demon wife but conveniently he was killed in a plane crash so i never had to do that i don't know what trying to divorce means um and and then this bullshit uncle henry said that he tried to get her to take money at first but she refused what she didn't know was that paul left every night it's like have you ever seen called child support like why wouldn't roger's mom have taken child support from paul or henry like like, she's too proud no, but it's like, this just doesn't make sense. Like, she should have been taking that money. I mean... No, you don't, you don't have to convince me to take money. I just don't think this would happen. Okay. You think she wants her son working as a janitor 20 million hours a day and, like, not being able to, like... No, she would take... Maybe she wouldn't take it for herself. She would have taken it for Roger. I just don't believe she would have denied child support. Like, if this is true, Paul's a piece of shit. Because he should at least tell the mom, well... I'm Paul's dead, Henry. honey. Paul's dead. Paul can't tell anyone anything. You mean Henry. No, I mean, oh, no, Paul should have told her before he died. Wait, that's like, confused. Sorry, yeah. He had it in his will. Like, he should have told her so she'd know that the child would be okay. Whatever. Yeah, that but doesn't We're not going to make heads or tails of no, this. No, we're going to cut all of this. Okay, ba 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 I'm proud of my mother, and I feel confused. I wish I knew how she would want me to act now. I wish she could let me know somehow how to change overnight from Roger Barrett to Roger Patman. Olivia stared at him uneasily. She loved Roger. And it almost broke her heart to think of his losing everything familiar to him. Well, I do understand Roger's kind of how would she want me to act, given that there's all of this weird money stuff and his mom turned down the money and didn't want to be associated with it. And now he's like, well, what what would the right thing to do? I can understand his confusion and his feeling that he doesn't have a real path forward. So I feel sad for him. Yeah. And, and also just like, what is the nature of how his mom like would have felt or felt about these people? If she was so proud, like, would she have wanted Roger to, like, kind of be icy to them? Or is he wondering, like, should I not yeah. embrace this so warmly? Should I embrace it warmly? Like, Which is yeah. sad because he has no one at this point. Yeah, it's giving Oliver Twist another one I never read. Uh, yeah, it's very sad. Well, he'll have a party. He'll be okay. Yeah, as long as there's a dance to be had. Maybe a pool party? Swimming? Swim through your troubles, Roger. So Sweet Valley's a buzz. There's been a little bit already observations from Olivia on how Roger has already started to look different. He has contact lenses. He has corduroys instead of jeans. And Jessica also says, she says, like, I think he looks kind of cute or something. And she, Lila is saying like, oh, he still looks like a nerd to me. Yeah. And Jessica's like, aren't you a little jealous? And Lila's like, no, that was ages ago. I couldn't care less about Roger Barrett or Roger Patman. And I still think he looks pretty scruffy. And then... Jessica is looking around and she sees Olivia and Roger and Olivia put her hand on Roger's arm 
And it says about Jessica, a strange shiver passed through her. For a long time, Jessica had been enchanted by the Patmans. She had wished that her own family lived in one of the huge mansions up on the hill overlooking Sweet Valley. Bruce was one of the few boys Jessica had ever really fallen for. Now she could barely stand him, da da da. And then she wonders what it would be like to go to the dance with the guest of honor himself, the richest young man in Sweet Valley. I mean, I think there's so many ways to read this. One is like, she can finally sort of show up Bruce, even though I think you and I believe that there's a kind of power differential in their relationship and that there was some emotional abuse. The book describes it as this sort of battle of wits. And I think throughout the series, and I think there's a book later called Jessica Against Bruce. Like, and so one reading of Jessica going after Roger, and I think that's being also presented to us in this paragraph is that it, it's also at least in part a way to kind of like either throw that in Bruce's face or also say to Bruce I'm as good as you like I can schmooze with your mom like I can be here I can fit in I'm good enough for this kind of stuff well there's also this idea that she is envious of the Patman's lifestyle and the only way for her to get the Patman's lifestyle is through kind of partnering marriage spousal whatever she tried it with Bruce. It didn't work. And she thought that was her only option. But now Roger presents another pathway forward into the Pat Patman lifestyle. Yeah, although I don't actually think that Bruce's richness is, it's certainly one of the things that she's attracted to. But I do think she's also attracted to like his, you could call it like confidence or arrogance. Like you I could. think, I think he's also in a lot of ways very intelligent. But yeah, for sure. She wants access to this. Caroline Pierce shows up. Oh, vey, Caroline Pierce. I was so excited when we got finally to the Hershey bar. Mm. Do you have any feelings about it? Do you want to tell our listeners what it is? Absolutely. If they don't know? Jessica's room was an old joke in the Wakefield family. She'd insisted on painting her walls chocolate brown, which had earned it its nickname, the Hershey bar. And it was almost always impossible to get much past Jessica's door, usually because the entire contents of her closet were strewn all over the floor. Of course, all of our listeners remember. When else has Jessica dabbled in the chocolate brown? Number nine racing hearts in her chocolate brown suit. You better it's believe it's not she's her usual style, but it's a good color for business, sweetie. Right? So what's going on here? She's in the Hershey bar, which is also like a really funny one of my friends was staying for a time in a place with a kind of orange sherbet painted walls and we called it the apricot dream. Okay. So I just, I like the idea of rooms having nicknames based on the colors of the walls. Is that so much to ask, Pardon? When I was a kid, Hershey mm -hmm. bar was so resonant. Like this thing about her room, because it was like, she had painted a brown, she did it on impulse. Where like one day she was suddenly like, I want a brown. And they were all like, and it says like, she insisted. So I guess they told her it wouldn't look good. It's just such a random color that a kid would paint their room. It's like, you would think Jessica would do purple or something. Yeah. But it's like, the fact that she paints her walls. Have you ever heard of anyone painting their bedroom chocolate brown? Like a young person. It's like, it's, it's so crazy. Yes. And I just love it because it's random. Do you, I'm just curious. Like the Hershey bar is an old family joke. Sure. I'd be curious. Like, can you name a few other Wakefield family jokes? Oh God, I feel like I'm... Do you remember any? Yeah, there's sort of some canonical Wakefield. I mean, jokes is yeah, that's what's hard. Jokes at the level of funny. how the, no, but like that they yeah. refer to as a like Wakefield family joke. I mean, would you consider the older sister, younger sister, a Wakefield family joke? Can you be more specific? Like how they're like, oh, one's the big sister, one's the little sister because they're four minutes apart. They're Stephen referring to them as the clones. Okay, great. I would make one slight alteration to the older sister, younger sister, and the specific sort of phrasing I would ask for would be Little. like, 
The Wakefield family joke was that while Elizabeth was the older twin by four minutes, sometimes it seemed like more more like four years. Yeah, that's definitely. The Wakefield family joke was that Jessica never wore a watch because she didn't think anything mattered until she showed up. Great. Then we get the question of what's going on with, Reg with Regina. Something's going on with Regina. The most blown out of proportion nonsense in history. It is. I mean, is I hate when people say nothing burger, but this is like, what? What? <laughs> okay. So this is the B plot. What happens is, I'm going to try to summarize. Please. Pod to Elizabeth one day is like, what's going on with Regina? Do you see she's acting weird? Elizabeth's like, what? He's like, yeah, she'd like be kind of by herself or she like ran out of class early or something. And then it basically like, they try to figure out, quote unquote, what's going on with her. It's just like information keeps being parsed out in this weird way where he's like, something's going on with Regina. And Elizabeth's like, what? And he's like, I'll call you tonight, tell That's you. So she's annoying. Like, and then she's like freaking losing her shit waiting for the call. Like, I think I wrote down, it literally says like she dove for the phone. Mm -hmm. She'd been like anxious. It's like they're overly invested in this. And yeah. my reading of the reason Elizabeth's overinvested in, in it is jealousy of Todd of like, why is Todd so interested in Regina kind of thing? And then my um, reading of why Todd is so interested in it is because he's a messy, messy bitch. <laughs> why he and Elizabeth are perfect together. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, they go Elizabeth, together. He and Elizabeth devised this whole thing where, and they're, you know, they love to call each other Sherlock Holmes. Elizabeth loves to follow people. So Todd and Elizabeth like go on this journey to follow Regina, see where she's going. So they see her downtown with a very, very handsome older man. Lila also happens to be downtown at the same time. He looks like Paul Newman. He does look like Paul Newman. I meant to Google. He drives him. a what? Beige Ferrari. Yeah. I thought beige. Such a bad choice. Oh, I loved it. Beige? Because it's, like it's like understated. Because like he's oh, actually successful. Oh, because he's sexy older. Oh. But also he's legitimately successful and he like is a legit like person. So he doesn't need to like. Flaunt it. Front kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So anyhow. So Lila sees Regina with him. And so assumes and then spreads the rumor that she that Regina is dating an older man what ends up happening in Elizabeth is consumed with anxiety as always she's just like this whole time freaking out like oh god what happens if someone spreads rumors about Regina poor Regina someone's gonna spread rumor rumor Lila saw her lies it's like it's a lot what ends up happening is that this older guy is a modeling executive and he has scouted Regina and she is going to be on the front cover of Ingenue magazine <laughs> What I would pay to be able to read Ingenue magazine just one time. Name your price, Francine. Name your price. Ingenue magazine is the premier Sweet Valley-based fashion editorial. <laughs> the Let premier. Their headquarters is, is in the same building as the Sweet Valley Medical Center. <laughs> okay. Sure. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. She's going to be on the cover, and then the cover comes out. Okay. We get Bruce and Roger, okay, in the beginning of chapter two. And we start to see some details on kind of Roger's new home life and how alienating it is and how Mrs. Patman is so icy to him and Bruce is kind of delighting in his discomfort. And Bruce, as they drive in, says, home, sweet home, little cousin. Of course, we have the kind of reinforcing of the fact that you are just a cousin. And I think one of the questions I had was, does Bruce know? And when, well, just let me. And if Bruce knows, when did he know? Because it would really explain a lot 
if when Bruce was going out of his way to fucking bully Roger all the time oh. in racing hearts for seemingly no reason, he picked on him, picked on him, picked on him and bullied him, even though he apparently posed no threat to him, physical, social, good looking or otherwise. And I, I sort of shudder to kind of get into it lest we go down this road. But, you know, we've previously talked about kind of boundary maintenance and the girls like to say, you know, you're the this kind and I'm the this kind. And they mm-hmm. like to create difference. Mm-hmm. Bruce is bullying of Roger and constant kind of denigrating of him that he was doing in Racing Hearts. If he actually knew that they're fucking brothers, mm. okay, would give a lot more reason for him wanting to define boundaries between him and Roger, where to everyone else, that might seem very obvious. That makes and sense. He- I think either way, whether he knew knows doesn't know whether he's actually there's nothing to know because this story that you've created in your head may not be true um it is very clearly boundary maintenance it very much is like even saying home sweet home kind of highlights the idea like this is not your home yeah but can you acknowledge that the story you say i made up in my head also has some textual evidence yeah no i think the story you made up in your head is great and is better than (laughs) if it's not true it should be true okay thank you thank you Roger is reminded that there are important guests coming for dinner, the Fergusons, a special client of Mr. Patman's. And I was wondering, what does it mean that Mr. Patman has clients? Because I, doesn't Mr. Patman have a canning factory? But he's isn't also that their business. Isn't that their business? That's a question for canning? you, not me. It was book one. And you said, get past the realm. I said, um, we were talking about how like the Patmans and the Fowlers and the Fowlers. Yes. And I said, the Patmans do canning. And you were like talking about the old and the new. And I said, well, yeah, like the Patmans do canning and the Fowlers do computer chips. And you were like, can you please not just read what it says and actually get into analysis with me? Oh. So that's what I remember. So the Patmans want every rock in Sweet Valley to stay exactly where it's been for 50 years. The Fowlers want to Because of course their money comes from canning. Whereas the Fowlers are from silicon chips. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I need to push you into analysis. I need to push you beyond reporting back what's happening in the text. There's this tension between progress and... Well, I'm glad that my teaching techniques have worked for you. I, I just am having a hard time understanding. So... These clients are so important that it really matters whether they approve of Bruce's choices and Roger's choice. Like the stakes are so elevated for something that makes barely any sense at all. Yeah, but I think it's sort of to drive home the point, which I do buy that like, A, they're obsessed with appearances, like that they're very, very shallow people obsessed with appearances. Just the fact that some people are important and just the fact that like her priority is to make a client comfortable rather than like her new nephew who just lost it It, i think it's driving home just like the the evil stepmother cinderella Mm -hmm. kind of thing you know but i think it also has to do with like her being triggered by his it's like roger's similarity to them like if if there's any resemblance in the face that maybe triggers her in one way but his difference from them is also triggering like she wants him to completely assimilate and i think it's like she doesn't want to be reminded of that so i think part of the reason she's so neurotic about the assimilation is that maybe that's a way she's kind of telling herself she doesn't have to be reminded of it. I thought it was such an amazing, amazing um, little detail when it's like later when he's getting ready for dinner with the Ferguson's and it's like he puts on his new clothes or whatever. And then he like tries to gel back his hair, but there's one piece that keeps sticking up. Mm. His body will not cooperate. It's like his essence will not like 
he cannot be like pleasing to the Ferguson house, no matter how hard he tries, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. She's a Disney villain, sitting in front of her vanity, smoothing beauty cream into the skin around her eyes. What are those things you've got on your feet, dear? <laughs> and it's just running shoes. He's wearing running shoes. <laughs> and she kind of isolates and articulates, like, we're counting on you to keep up the Patman name. There's this idea that now that he's Roger Patman, like, they are responsible for him in a way that he can tarnish and taint them. And it all feels very kind of Jessica in their, in the concept of what taint is, what other people can do to you. Yes. The importance of what your relations or people who look or sound or have the same name as you do. It's giving like Jessica, I mean, obviously, but it's giving Jessica being freaked out at um, Betsy Martin living in their house but literally, because when that happened, Bruce was like, yes. well, at least we're not having Roger live in our house. He said that. Yes. And I do think it's important that she keeps referring back to like, if you're not sure, ask Bruce. He always knows what to say and he always knows what to wear. Because I think part of what she's doing is also being like, model yourself on Bruce because Bruce is the good one. Because I raised him, not your trash mom. And he's got right? all of my good genes, unlike your evil tainted genes. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting we get a description of Roger's room. I knew I knew we were gonna like this. Really? Yeah. The and despite okay. its grandeur, there mm-hmm. was nothing in it that he had used to long for when he was poor. No stereo, no games, no sports equipment. Small as it had been, Roger's old room had felt a lot more like home than this place. Was mm-hmm. that the quote you thought I'd glom onto? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it's so interesting. It's like parts of this are so kind of fairy tale, and then Francine keeps pulling us back to earth and saying like even though he's rich he doesn't have exactly what he wants Mm -hmm. as he's getting dressed for dinner bruce comes and kind of teases him and says you know you look don't we look spiffy and all this type of thing and then roger says take it easy i feel even stranger than i look bruce snorted that would be hard he muttered and then as roger's following that's a really good line (laughs) yeah take it easy i feel even stranger than i look (laughs) that would be hard it's a great line it is see bruce is smart um okay Roger followed Bruce down to the main dining room for dinner. It's funny, he thought, but it's almost a relief to be around Bruce. At least he comes right out in the open and acts like he hates me. And then we get the fork drama that you anticipated. Mm. He'd never seen so much silverware. He counted under his breath four, no five separate forks. What on earth was he supposed to do with them? And then we get the best line in history. I still can't believe you bought that stock when I told you to sell. Mr. Ferguson said to Mr. Patman, launching into a business conversation. And that's the beginning and end of what we hear from them. (laughs) I I just thought it was notable of like, just again, showing Bruce's kind of ease of dealing with these people where like Mrs. Ferguson asks Bruce, like, have you been involving yourself in the art world? And Bruce What was that about? Wait, sorry, before you get into his response, what a weird question to ask a 16 year old boy. And I think the point of this is literally, this is what these people do, right? They sort of talk about appearances and they just sort of try to prove to each other that they're in on the right things. And so when she says this random question, have you been involving yourself in the art world? He says, not as much as I should be with sickening insincerity from Roger's perspective. But it's like, he is sort of comfortable saying some bullshit that can keep that conversation to where it needs to go kind of thing. And so it's not even that Bruce like has the fluency of the actual knowledge of the actual cultural topics or whatever, but he even has the fluency to fake it. Which is interesting. Yeah. Because it means like everyone's faking it, even the rich people, right? That's what they're showing, right? Is like yes. what Roger thinks he's faking, Bruce is also faking. They're all faking it. No it's one's just... in the art world. <laughs> That's funny. And then we have wine, wine drama. Yeah. 
He spills wine all over Miss Ferguson. She Except it's actually out. a microscopic fleck. Oh yeah, you're right. It's not all over. He acts like it's all over. <laughs> and she acts like it's all over. Yeah, but Mr. Patman, dad. Mr. Patman in all these situations is the most normal acting one. And I wanted to talk more about that. He's actually great. He gets painted as being bad. I think throughout the entire text, he is a lovely, really nice guy who tries to take care of Roger and is trying to do the best he possibly can for this kid in an unimaginably hard situation. And yeah, I, and I think it's, it's because he's his dad. Sure. It's because Regardless of why, yes. I feel like he's stepping up and doing the right thing. And I just give a say that in the course of the next 140 whatever books, there may be layers revealed of Mr. Patman that one might have not always thought. And Mr. Patman, Mr. Patman has lived a life and uh, we should not... We're getting close to spoiler. We should we're not assume we know every side of Mr. Patman. We're getting okay? close to spoiler territory because obviously I think what we're going to learn is that he grew up poor and that's why he's empathetic and kind to Roger because he that's, knows what it's like to be mismatched and blah, blah, blah. I just said what I said. And it was too much. I think we can all agree it was too it much. It wasn't because you got it wrong. All right. Oh, well, you can't tell me if I got it right or wrong because that's also a spoiler. Yeah, but I'm a mistress of reverse psychology. <laughs> so you'll never you'll never know which one I'm doing. Okay, Roger true. goes upstairs and cries. Of reverse psychology. Roger one, runs away from the dinner sad about the wine. Uh, More importantly. Then we get to Jane Fonda. We get to Jane Fonda. Jessica was stretched out on the floor in Elizabeth's cream-colored bedroom, doing Jane Fonda exercises to the tape in her Walkman. And Elizabeth is having a fucking nervous yeah. breakdown. Like she I needs, can't. she needs medical help. Okay, waiting for Todd to call about what, quote unquote, his explanation of whatever his observation was of Regina acting weird. In what world would anyone care? Jessica has to be doing her Jane Fonda in Elizabeth's room because Jessica's room is all full up with the t-shirts she's been painting to raise money for cheerleaders. Of course. Then she takes off her earphones and starts lifting her long shapely legs and asks Elizabeth, don't you think Roger looks different these days? <laughs> I think it's kind of cute. See, I think she does actually like him. Jess is fantasizing about going to the uh, Patman's party with Roger. Uh, then we finally, finally get this long awaited phone call between Todd and Elizabeth and it's Eli nothing. Sorry. I, but I just have to say, I said this before, but just Elizabeth dives for it. It's insane. She's obsessive. And it's nothing. All afternoon, it's... she'd been wondering what he'd meant about Regina Moro. And all we find out is she's leaving school early. She was standing in the parking lot looking nervous. She seems to be spending more and more time by herself. And the spending never... more time by herself is never really explained. Like, why is she eating lunch alone? Because I guess she, like, can't figure out how to talk to people without spilling beans about Ingenue. It's, it's crazy. And I mean, I guess, has, if, like, in her defense, if I were to be on the cover of Ingenue, could you imagine? What a coup. But if I were to be on the cover of Ingenue, like, I would be telling literally everyone who came near me. So maybe that does make sense. I, I don't know. The whole It'd be weird. such a transgressive, amazing moment if they put me on the cover of Ingenue, by the way. <laughs> representation matters. Representation matters, especially on Ingenue. And then we get Todd being, like, I have an idea of how we can figure out what's going on with her. Can you get the card tomorrow? Elizabeth's like, bitch. I guess I can. And Elizabeth's like, I guess I can ask my mom why. And then Todd's like, I'll tell you my plan tomorrow. And again, Todd is doing this like selective metering of information. And I think we must ask why. Homo. Why is he gay? He is such a closeted bore. I mean, I have been this 16-year-old. He is such a closeted, oh, oh, bored yes. little kid, and he has nothing going on in his life, so he's creating all this drama. Yeah, since they don't have sex, and, like, they are pretty boring, 
they just kind of need something exciting and mm-hmm. like this they have to have like they're doing a bit sort of yes definitely and 100% like yes and him being like something was weird going on and then like i'll tell you my plan tomorrow but it's like there's nothing really going on and it's like now they get to have this like car chase call each other sherlock holmes do whatever fucking like weird role play they talk about tarzan jane god knows what mm. and they get to like have a little giggle in the car like i don't know this is like how they get their kicks it's like something to do <laughs> it's it's a perverse and psychosexual game also like why couldn't they just ask her this considers herself such a good friend but you can't just ask her like hey we noticed something you've been alone and you seem to be leaving like you don't have to tell us anything like is everything okay like i don't know like Okay, we get chapter three. Liz asks for the car and pretends she has to like go to school early for the Oracle or something, but really she's like going to meet Todd or something for her plot or something like that. Well, she needs then, the car to do the plot. Yeah, like maybe after school. Yes. So- Elizabeth, having asked for the car, still has to turn some way into like making this an obsessive thing that she, so she's like, oh, I shouldn't have asked for the car again. Oh, I shouldn't have done this or that. She's like, she's obsessively ruminating over everything. I think it's because she's, it's the jealousy is making her resent the fact that she had to ask for the car because like she wouldn't actually care. So I think it's her being like, why does Todd care so much about this Regina thing? Because he's the one pushing us. Then we get the canonical moment where Elizabeth is in the car and thought for the millionth time how lucky she is to live in Sweet Valley. Yeah. Beautiful flower beds. Beautiful flower beds. Then we get Olivia and Elizabeth have a discussion where Olivia... I think Elizabeth is maybe sensing some of Olivia's discomfort with all the kind of Patman changes. Olivia, of course, is wearing a simple necklace made of raw hide and beads and long silver earrings that made her look like a Mexican princess. She looks like a Mexican princess. Certainly not because she is Mexican. I mean, that would be interesting. Like, that would be interesting in real world if she actually were Mexican and that were the struggles that we were having with this, like, kind of interracial cultural oh, right. clash. We get an interracial relationship in book, like, 94 or something. I'm telling you, it's coming. Okay, okay. it's coming. Oh, we just oh, wait. Eight, eight more books. And Since... Elizabeth is like, Todd, I just don't feel right about this. Why do we have to do this? And then... So they're skipping class to follow Regina Morrow to see what she's doing. Crazy. And then... Yeah, basically they follow her downtown and they end up seeing her with this man who appears to be in his late 30s, kisses her on a cheek. They go into the Sweet Valley Medical Center and then they realize that Lila has seen Regina too. And then Lila says, isn't that Roger over in front of the sports shop with Mr. Patman? And then we get to the scene of the sports shop. I do want to highlight the fact that what we are led to believe right now is that Regina, a 16-year-old girl, is dating someone in their late 30s. And no one is like, hey, maybe we should talk to her or do something or make sure she's safe. It sounds like she's being groomed. This seems like a real problem. Everyone is just concerned with the rumors about it. Yeah, it would just be Classic an It would be like an ex- it would be like a scandalous affair, but it's of course like- it would just be like Mrs. Dalton dating Ken Matthews, just like normal affair stuff. Like, what yeah. is wrong with these people? Okay, then we get father and son bonding in the sports shop. And basically, Mr. Patman is taking Roger to get some new running clothes. Roger is grinning at his new uncle. This was like a dream come true. For as long as he remembered, he had walked by the sports shop on his way to work, staring at the running shoes in the window. It would have taken him months to save up. His uncle's given him a credit card. and He can buy all this stuff and he's getting shoes and nylon shorts. His eyes fall on an aluminum tennis racket. And Mr. Patman's like, it's yours. And he's like, my very own tennis racket. And he's like, well, now that you have your own tennis courts, you might as well have your own racket. It's interesting the way that Roger is pitched is like very, very grateful. I don't know how to thank you for all of this. And 
it's confusing to me whether he is thanking Mr. Patman, Uncle Henry, for paying for stuff or for like the bond that they are creating together. Like, thank you for being kind to me and being nurturing and let's say paternal fine to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, and I think part of the ambiguity is whose money is he spending? Exactly. The credit card, does it go to Patman's account? Does it go to his trust? Well, is he just thinking himself? Yeah. <laughs> and he's thanking Patman for driving him there and showing him, like, <laughs> like right? Yeah. I mean, I think we can assume Henry's paying for at least. Okay. But yeah, no, I think it's there. And then Roger, as they're in the limo, going back to the Patman estate, Roger leans back against the seat, a smile playing about his lips. He had forgotten about Bruce and Mrs. Patman and the Fergusons and the humiliation. For now, all he remembered was that he was a Patman and being a Patman suddenly looked like a pretty good thing. And that's the moment of the cover of his little smile. It's where he's saying, I can get used to this. Being a Patman is actually a pretty good thing. And I can kind of, maybe I can inhabit this. Maybe I can enjoy it. And maybe part of that is maybe I can also let go of some guilt. Mm. Um, And maybe he's also wondering like, is this going to take away my street cred? Like he spent the last however many books like cultivating this brand of like, proud working class so if he if he starts to enjoy this too much is like people are not gonna respect him too like that's also at risk i'm intrigued by that i also think it's interesting that he like strips away bruce and mrs patman and the fergusons and focuses on the one thing that actually makes him a patman which is his relationship to uncle henry mr patman dad whatever Mm -hmm. then we get to the patman's barbecue so you know of course we can't wait until the formal party of the country club. We gotta have a sort of a well, it's like a pre-party. Some, yeah, we got a pre-party. And then we're gonna get some bathing suits. And Jessica has a new bathing suit. What is it this time? You know, Jessica usually prefers bikinis, thinking it's a shame to conceal her trim tanned abdomen. But I, I don't know how to say this word. It's a French word, so I was hoping you could kind of take the wheel. It's like a one-piece bathing suit, oftentimes with like cutouts in it. I think in French it would be like mayo. I think it's mayo. That sounds like mayo. I think it's like mayonnaise based. Whatever. It's a one piece. It's sexy. And the sales girl of Foxy Mama told her that this is the one. And so she's going to wear this to the barbecue to get Roger's attention. Do do we think Shady Lady and Foxy Mama are founded by sisters? And one of them is like kind of the slutty one. So she runs the Shady Lady. And one of them is kind of the slutty one that's a little higher class. So she runs the Foxy Mama. I mean, it raises a lot of questions about the Foxy Mama brand, which I think is interesting to explore, which is like, it is sexy. Yeah. But it's also seen as like high class. Yeah, it's classy Whereas like sexy. Shady Lady is like definitely like low class coded. Yeah. And also I thought that the word Foxy Mama also reminded me of like, remember we talked about, of course, Motorcycle Mama? Of course. Seeing the word Foxy Mama did also remind me that like calling people Mama... <laughs> In this way, in the 80s and 90s, I actually feel it was a bit more a normal thing in the culture. Yeah. Like, colloquially. like remember on Saved by the Bell? Like, yes, I was just called... thinking of this. Yeah. And like she was offended. She'd be like, you chauvinist pig. But like, I don't know. He still said it. And he'd be like, hey, mama. Like, so maybe that was more of like a casual thing you would say to someone. Way to go, mama. <laughs> I mean, Ms. Mama. <laughs> so I guess they're getting ready for the barbecue and Jessica... I don't know if she's wearing her mayo underneath. I kind no, of she's holding her. She's holding the bathing suit, but she's wearing a pair, and she looks stunning in a pair of crisp white tennis shorts and a turquoise polo shirt, which sends off a warning bell in Elizabeth's head because last time she was dressed so conservative was when she was into Bruce and started buying clothes from the Boston shop. 
And we know East Coast, of course, is coated rich in high class, like the Moros in these books. And that's just what's with the preppy look. So Jessica's really playing the long game here because she's it's she's so smart. She's wearing that sexy bathing suit to get Roger's attention. Then she's bringing this like conservative like Tennessee outfit to wear over it to like impress the parents. I love it. I love the way she plays this. And I love thinking that she actually likes Roger because it makes the way that she plays this make me feel a little better. Then we get to the barbecue. Now, Mrs. Patman is wearing pink satin lounging pajamas that would have looked more appropriate on a Hollywood set. To which I ask you, Pardo, huh? Well, let's remember this is from Elizabeth's perspective because we got, so they see Mrs. Patman. Jessica lingers behind to tell her how pleased she was to be invited and says, I love your outfit. Personally, Elizabeth thought Mrs. Patman was overdressed for the occasion. Her long, silky black hair looked a little too perfect to be her natural color. And the pink satin pajamas more appropriate Hollywood set. I mean, first of all, her long, silky black hair looked too perfect to be her natural color. She dyes her hair the indignity of it all. How disgusting. I mean, hours on this. I mean, the ageism, the sexism and also just the like this is about you liz like you're triggered by other people being perfect like remember when suzanne was perfect and that bothered you so it's like sorry sometimes people's silky black hair is also just their silky black hair like and it is perfect and it's gorgeous like what about sky morrow what about regina she's too perfect to be true but she actually is so don't be jealous of mrs patman yes but what what about the pink satin lounging pajamas i mean that sounds to me like something like elisa barlow from Housewives of Salt Lake City would wear in 2023 to like a fancy party. Okay. That like that's a legit look. Elizabeth is clueless. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not clueless. taking advice. I'm not taking advice from a girl whose like idea of a hot, sexy outfit for like a party is a laced up to the neck Victorian blouse and a long wine-colored velvet skirt. Oh, this is Elizabeth. Oh, it's Elizabeth's view, mm-hmm. not Jessica's view. That really Yeah, Jessica it. said she loved it. Oh, we got to talk about Bruce's bathing suit. Oh, do we? <laughs> why, why would we have to talk about it, Pardo? What, is there anything notable? I, they don't even bring it up in the book, do they? Take it away. I know you want this one. <laughs> I want to know where he found that bathing suit, George announced. It's the tiniest thing I've ever seen. It looks like a Band-Aid, Todd agreed, laughing. What is he wearing and why? And how do I say? I believe... <laughs> My reading of this is it's to do more boundary maintenance against to contrast himself against Roger because Roger is so uncomfortable in his body and his clothes and in the environment. And for Bruce to, it's a big party. It's a thing. It's like so image conscious for him to wear a teeny tiny bathing suit. is like so brazen. It's so confident that it's like, I just feel like it's like saying like, Roger, you can never do this kind of thing. I can see that. It's very strange to me. It was very, why very else? Lovely. Why else? And we've we've had so many descriptions of Bruce and Bruce's appearance, Bruce's body, and how he looks. Like we've never had him wearing a teeny tiny bikini. Like we've never heard that specifically. So I'm like, why this book? You know, that's why I think that. I I mean, I'm I'm happy to have any analysis at all because I was just like, <laughs> huh. Then we get Liv upset. She's already frazzled, and party hasn't even started because she showed up early, and Mrs. Patman basically dragged her. And thought she was someone delivering packages because she's such a fucking mess. That's I feel and, bad for her. That's very embarrassing. I feel bad too. It's so mean. Jessica asks Mrs. Patman to introduce her to the other adults at the barbecue. And then um, when Mrs. Ferguson talks about how inconsiderate teenagers are, 
I'm afraid I have to agree with you, Elizabeth heard her twin say mournfully, clearly distinguishing herself from the inconsiderate teenagers milling all around. Oh, you know, basically Jessica's scheme is kind of working. Mrs. Patman is, thinks she's very impressive. Jessica puts on a big show of helping sort of clean up glasses of lemonade. And I was just like, they would have someone hired yeah. there doing. Like, where's Miranda? It's very like, confusing to me. Like, literally, where, where is the help? No, where, like, where is the Hashtag help? where's Miranda? And then... Jessica and Mrs. Patman have this insane, insane. Perfect. As an aspiring gold digger myself, I love every minute. I can't tell you how helpful you've been, dear. How would you like to have a glass of lemonade with me in the breakfast room where it's cool to refresh yourself? The last thing Jessica wanted was another glass of lemonade, but she hated to lose momentum now. I'd love some, she said cheerfully. Here you are, dear. Jessica took a tiny sip and tried to look thrilled. <laughs> it's delicious, she managed. Mrs. Patman leaned back in her chair and continued smiling at Jessica. In fact, she smiled so widely and for such a long time that Jessica began to wonder if something was wrong. It's so nice to get to meet all of Roger's friends before the party at the club. Tell me, are you a very close friend of Roger's? We want so much, you see, to get to know his real friends. <sighs> I wish we were closer. Roger's so busy, you know. He studies so hard and he's so serious about running. Yes, running. A dreadful habit, I think. We're hoping he'll take up something a bit more social. Tennis would be nice, don't you think? Bruce is such a wonderful tennis player. T tennis is my favorite sport. Tell me, Jessica, who are Roger's really close friends then? I want him to make sure he knows the right sort of people now that he's part of the family. I'm, I'm not really sure. Well, what about this Olivia, for instance? Is she a friend of yours? Uh, no, ma'am. I've always thought Olivia is a little too shy. I've thought so too. Of course, you're too sweet to say so, Jessica. But this Olivia is terribly awkward, isn't she? Not really the sort of girl who can help Roger very much now that he has so much to learn, if you know what I mean. I think I do. We understand each other, don't we? I want so much for Roger to feel more at ease. It would be nice if he could find someone a little more suitable to spend his time with. Maybe you could help him, Jessica. That's... That's very nice of you to say, Mrs. Patman, but I don't really see how, for instance, I'd love to see you and Roger together two weeks from tonight at the party we're having at the club. I think you two would make such a lovely couple. I can't imagine anything I'd like more. End scene. She's, Jessica is so smart. And like mm -hmm. this scene and the scenes as this goes on where Jessica is like manipulating Olivia Helping are, Olivia. One empathizes with, with Olivia, but one must just admire. And yeah. we always talk about how smart she is. But just I felt that her manipulations, specifically in this book, were next level. Mm -hmm. Just brilliant. The way she exploits both of Olivia's and Roger's feelings and the way she like manipulates Olivia into doing it's just mm -hmm. wild. Anyhow. And later when it all comes up, they highlight like she was able to, they don't even really, she, she was, but basically Roger says, I was so insecure. And Olivia's like, I was insecure too. And it's just so clear 
that even before they realized what was going on, Jessica was able to see their weaknesses, prey upon them, manipulate them, and get exactly what she needed from the situation. And even this situation where she's up against a formidable adversary, she immediately gets this woman on her side. She knows how to get what she needs. And she just plays her like so much of a fiddle. Yeah, she really knows how to like align to power. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth decides to eavesdrop on Lila, basically teasing Regina about who's that older man you've been seen with. Elizabeth keeps stressing out. Caroline Pierce is going to spread it all over. She tells Enid about it. Importantly, um, though, Elizabeth like situates herself to know this information, but does not intervene or help or do anything at all. So she's sitting there listening and she says, oh, dear, it looks like I was right about Lila. And now that Caroline Pierce is in on the story, Regina's secret will be all over the valley. Like she doesn't do anything. Like what's she going to do? Tell Caroline, don't tell anyone? Like, but like, what? You know what I mean? Like Regina's in this conversation. Like she knows what's going on. Like, yeah, but Elizabeth could be like, hey guys, like, why are you picking on Regina this way? Regina says she's not dating this guy. What are you even talking about? Like, yeah, she could do more. She could do more. She could also do less. Yeah, great. Like, exactly. One of, the things, one of the things Elizabeth fucking loves to do every book is talk to Enid, spread a rumor to Enid, and tell Enid how stressed out she is that this rumor is being spread. And Enid basically every time is like, can you just not get in, like, yeah. involve yourself in this? Like, how about just ignore it? Elizabeth's <laughs> like, I can't. So that happens again. Where it's well, it's slightly different this time, which I think not Ina's response. Ina's response is the same. But this time Todd suggests I mm-hmm. vote we keep a close eye on the situation, Todd stated. That was my gay voice. I did too much lisp. It wasn't great. Yeah, Elizabeth's trying to get out of it. She's saying it's not our business and we might make it worse, which makes you think she's maybe learned from the past a little bit. Mm-hmm. And maybe also because she's jealous of potentially Todd having a crush on Regina. And then Todd's like, all right, Sherlock, we'll find another case. <laughs> Rumples her hair. Yeah, so like, just a quick... In the meantime... Just a quick question. What what pronouns does Sherlock use? Um, in the real world, in like the canon Arthur Conan Doyle stories. Is Sherlock okay. a man or a woman? A man. What are you saying? He should have said Nancy Drew? I mean, if he were interested in women, he should have said Nancy Drew. But since he's a homosexual, oh, I actually think, well, he's I engaged actually think in this psychosexual of, play. Like, I think that's a little bit sexist against girls because, because what? Like, you shouldn't be able to compare yourself to icons if they're not the same gender as you. Like, I'm not saying that at all. I love it when people compare themselves to icons. Regardless <laughs> that is of what gender. you said. All, you no, just all said I'm saying no is one's Todd allowed is... to compare themselves to icons not the same gender. You just did <laughs> something really bad. All I'm saying is that Todd loves these games because he is imagining Liz as Sherlock Holmes, a man, so that he can be excited because he is a homosexual. Again, not there's anything wrong with that. And then Liz was like, we have to show Regina we're on her side. Then we get Jessica hatching her plan because Olivia comes over and says, you know, Jessica, I wish I could be more like you. You're so confident. I guess parties make me a little nervous. Jessica Wakefield had a flash of inspiration. Maybe the best way to get Olivia out of the picture would be to pretend to help Olivia stay in the picture. And what I love about this whole scheme is every bit of advice that Jessica gives is actually not bad advice, but she's so masterful at how she delivers it that it still works out exactly how she wants, as she knew it would. Yeah, and because she's so sort of intimately understanding the kind of unspoken rules of high society that she knows that like something that should be good advice, like 
if you're hungry, you should take a full plate from the buffet and take what you want, which would be normal. In this situation, it's not what you're supposed to do. And, you know, Olivia then ends up kind of, what is it, awkwardly maneuvering the plates in her hands. And then and then Bruce makes fun of her. Jessica, this is amazing. Jessica says, let me help you, Olivia. Jessica took both plates out of Olivia's hands and arranged them on the table. She made sure she took just long enough to make the moment especially awkward. And then she slipped back into her seat. And then she's like, let's go swimming. And Jessica does a perfect dive. And then Olivia does a belly flop. Yeah. And Jessica's like, just be yourself. Which is, again, good advice, just not in this situation. And then Bruce asks Jessica to play tennis. And Jessica's like, no way. But then she has a strike of insight that tennis, if they involve Roger and Olivia, could be a wonderful platform for her to kind of execute the next stage of her humiliation of Olivia and trying to get close to Roger. And so she says, yeah, let's play doubles with them. Brilliant. We're back home at the oh my God. residence. Huge news. The phone rings. Olivia's calling. That's all I'm talking about. The VCR. The Wakefield's got a new VCR. Yeah. No, yeah, that's huge. I know. I just, I was in the middle of kind of a thing. Oh my God. (laughs) Go. No, no, no. Do you want to do the VCR now? No, no. Well, it's, so the phone rings and then it's Olivia and Elizabeth makes sure that she is within hearing distance. And it even says, ordinarily, Elizabeth was very respectful of her sister's privacy, but right now she had no intention of budging. And it's just like, yeah, sure, Jan. Elizabeth's real respectful. We've already seen her eavesdrop in this book already. Come on. Wait, sure who? Jan. You know that meme? Sure, Jan, from the Brady Bunch. (laughs) Marsha's going, sure, Jan, when, like, Jan is talking about how she has a new boyfriend, George Glass. A new made-up boyfriend. I wonder if that's going to come up at all. No comment. Listener, Actually, you don't have to comment. That. Listeners, the next book has to be about how Caroline Pierce has made up her boyfriend. And then basically it's more of the same. Jessica's doing her manipulations. Really? Tennis on a Tuesday? Jessica exclaimed, her face wrinkled up with theatrical surprise. It sounds terrific. I haven't played in ages. I'm sure I'll be rusty. And then she's like, don't wear anything special. But we can go to the mall and shopping at the tennis shop. Basically what happens is like pretending to take Olivia under her wing like show her the ways of how to impress Roger and the Patmans, she ends up making her more and more uncomfortable and feel more and more out of place through these shopping excursions and so on and not having the money for a fancy clothes and your dress isn't good enough and this stuff. Of course, we see that as kind of a a broken palindrome or a dubious inversion, a ghostly echo of Roger and his experience with Henry Patman at the store. And Henry is actually helping Roger fit in and buying him things and showing that money is no object and that things will be okay. And Olivia and Jessica have like the exact opposite experience. Mm-hmm. All right. Beige Ferrari makes another appearance. The rumors keep swirling about Regina. Then we have Olivia and Jessica at the tennis shop. Jessica negs her about her outfit. <laughs> she makes her Olivia try on these like fancy tennis clothes Olivia's like I don't know it just doesn't seem like me and Jessica's like yeah they don't look quite right on you do they and like that's such an important moment right because that's like the whole front cover of Roger kind of inhabiting his new role and like the merging of identity and role this is a moment of like the tennis clothes like something about it's just off on Olivia it's like well Jessica gives the gives good advice that's the spirit it doesn't matter what you wear as long as you feel good about it yeah but it's like that's not the right advice for this situation it's good advice in general but like it is not correct for now then they go by the other fancy dress shop. 
the designer shop. She's like, you should buy a fancy dress. She's like, it's $190. I can't afford such a thing. And then Jessica says, really something so cruel. She says, I overheard Roger telling Todd that he was having a really hard time with his aunt. And he said things would be much easier if you cared about the sort of things most people do, like clothes. Maybe you should think more about Roger's feelings. It might make things a lot easier for him if you thought about what kind of dress he'd like you to buy. And then Olivia's like, maybe he has a point and she feels so embarrassed. And it's like, so, so sad. And like the fact that Jessica frames it as like, it's so manipulative and smart, but it's so sad of like her framing it as like, you should think about Roger's feelings so that for Olivia, it's like this message of like, oh, the way to be caring or empathetic to Roger in this moment, which of course is a good thing to do, which of course she wants to think about his feelings, but it's like, oh, that means I have to wear a different dress. Like making the connection between those things yeah. and saying like, of course, one means the other. It's like so mean. And so brilliant. Ba, 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 more gossip, more gossip. We get more of people being annoyed at Caroline Pierce setting us up. For and the then book. we get the first mention of Adam. Caroline Pierce's boyfriend, Adam. And from literally the first mention, literally the first <laughs> moments, I was like, oh, this is a made up person. Caroline Pierce has made up her boyfriend. No spoilers or anything for the next book. But they're talking about who they're going to the party with. And Caroline looked from one to the other, then sighed deeply. Too bad Adam can't make it. Who's Adam? Oh, Lila, he's wonderful. He lives about two hours from here in Cold Springs. That's why he can't make it to the party at the country club. He can't arrange to be away that weekend. How'd you meet him if he lives so far away? Oh, we met at a party my parents gave. His father used to work with my father, but we never met until about a month ago. Jessica, he's so handsome. He's really tall and he's got an incredible build. It must be hard to get to know him if you live so far away. Oh, it is. It's torture. But Adam writes amazing letters. In fact, he's been writing me almost every day. He calls a lot too, but his letters are the best. They're so romantic. Adam's just fantastic. Anyone who has been a queer person and has not wanted to come out has at some point invented a fake partner of the other gender and had letters from them. I can vividly remember in eighth grade writing a fake letter to a fake girlfriend that I let people read. Do you still have it? Please tell me you still have it. We can read it next call. I still have it. It was literally like, what, 30 years ago or something? I don't know. Maybe you saved it for your How to Be Gay talks. No, but I actually hadn't thought about it until this moment. Thank you for sharing this. I'm obsessed. Do you remember anything about like the details of like what you made up about her? Like what the letter said? Was it like, if you feel safe sharing? I do feel safe sharing. I think she just went to a different middle school in the city. I don't think I even had much of a backstory because here's the saddest part. No one really cared. No one was like, who, Robert? Tell us more about Genevieve. Follow-up questions. <laughs> no. So we know that Caroline Pierce has a fake boyfriend. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little fishy. <laughs> Doesn't it? Uh, it sounds a little fishy. Then we get to the tennis. So basically, Olivia shows up already agitated. So, like, she says Roger's been giving her a tour of the Patman estate. Jessica detects a sour note in her voice. The estate is just so beautiful, Roger said enthusiastically. Every time I think I've gotten used to it, I find something I hadn't noticed before. I've always loved this place, Jessica said. And so, while Olivia's alienated by Patman estate, Jessica can enjoy it together with Roger. And Jessica basically just sets her up to look the fool. In a brilliant and really strange way. So as we know, Francine's writing sparkles when she writes about sports. And Sport. one of the 
Sport. Shit, I get it wrong every time. Francine Please quote yourself yeah. accurately. Francine Frame sparkles when she writes about sport. And wanna, did it jump out at you that they play men against women first? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It's just, it's a very, very, so mixed doubles tennis is a thing. It's a very common thing. Men against women's doubles is not a thing, has never been a thing, doesn't make sense as a thing. The only time it would be a thing is like if the Williams sisters wanted to prove that they could beat any men's doubles team, which they could because they hashtag slay queen slay. But But if you're playing casually with friends, like you can mix it up. Like You think this is casual with friends, sweetheart? No, but that's the pretense, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. the pretense that Jessica is brilliantly creating is this yeah. is low stakes. We're having fun. The stakes could be higher. Right? The stakes are through the roof. And yet Jessica gets everyone to be like, oh, this is no big deal. The other thing that's so brilliant is if you play mixed doubles, Olivia and Jessica are facing off against each other as adversaries. And Jessica has to align herself as being either on Roger's team, which wouldn't really make sense. Or on Bruce's team, which creates a team of Olivia and Roger. She can't have that. So she brilliantly gets Olivia on her team to make Olivia feel like this is just firmly, oh, Jessica will take care of it. It's such brilliant. Right. Like, maneuvering. oh, it's like it's like it's like girls against boys, haha. Exactly. But it's like but and you're right. I think that's a fantastic observation. And I think not only does it put them sort of against each other in a way, but it also puts them on display next to each other for the boys to see and so i love that again the kind of boundaries and against olivia's like floppiness is jessica's grace and yeah that's a really i did not even think about that that's beautiful you could say olivia's flopping helplessly from side to side (laughs) isn't it flailing helplessly from side to side (laughs) no flopping it was flopping flopping? i love that and then i love these books sorry Again, I think it's notable. Roger says, I can see why Aunt Marie is so crazy about tennis. This is a lot of fun. You know, he's enjoying this. And Olivia just, again, is sort of morphs herself into a tizzy and has to go home. And Jessica's like, oh, no, poor you. I'll give you a ride. (laughs) Again, brilliant. She extricates herself from the situation, which doesn't make sense. And she doesn't want Roger driving her home. And it's like, quit while you're ahead. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, she's proved her point. Let's get out of here. Absolutely. And and while I can also seem like I'm doing the nice thing because Roger is actually a nice person. And then Jess is like, I'm so sorry that happened. You know, I guess I wasn't as rusty as I thought. I don't know. The guys are so competitive. They get so serious about it. And then Olivia goes, thanks, Jess. It wasn't your fault. I was such a disaster. Jessica smiled to herself as she drove away. Fault isn't the word I'd choose. Credit is more like it. And the credit is all mine. Brilliant. Also, of course, fault. Tennis fault. Ooh. Brilliant. I mean... It sparkles. The writing sparkles when Francine writes about sports. It can't be denied. Then Regina comes to Liz. She's like, can we talk? And Liz is like, yeah. She's like, okay, let's meet on the lawn later. And Todd's like, what's that about? Elizabeth's like, well, I'm worried about her. You're, and he's like, I'm worried about her too. And she's like, you're a pretty good guy, you know? And he's like, just call me boy wonder. Elizabeth's like, Regina invited me over to school. So I guess we'll talk about it then. Again, the like, pointless fucking suspense of this mm-hmm. whole regina like again it's like well what is it she'll tell me after school and then i'll tell you after school it's like all these pointless conversations like who cares then regina's like let's go to my room elizabeth admires her design sense and it turns out she's actually is sort of gifted and has an eye when it comes to design elizabeth again observes that you know compared to the patman estate even though the morals is as huge and everything it feels much more like a home it's much cozier and inviting now i got a question we got nicholas 
Nicholas and Elizabeth have a friendly interaction, I think, trying to show us that everything has been smoothed over from before. Yeah. That's not my question. My question is, Nicholas Morrow is described as having jet black hair, yeah. but on the cover of Deceptions, he had, like, Sandy Brown hair. Did he? Yeah. Anyway, that's my question. So it's not really a question. Oh, it's definitely not jet black. It's, yeah, it's brown. He looks so handsome. Sorry. Was that what we were talking and about? Then- Regina basically tells Elizabeth what's been going on with this man. His name is Lane Townsend, and it turns out that he has discovered Regina. He runs a modeling agency, and Angenou. he it's is going to get her to model on Ingenue. And importantly, and get, yeah, Regina says, got... do not tell anyone. I know it sound, seems silly, but all my life I've tried to show people I can fight my own fights if I have to. If anyone wants to believe those stupid rumors, let them. They'll find out the truth soon enough. So Elizabeth promises not to tell anyone, which she then immediately starts freaking out about. She's like, I've got to tell Todd. What if I don't tell Todd? And it's like, y'all, you are so desperate for something to distract yourself from the fact that you were trapped in this relationship with a gay man. As Whitney Rose on Housewives of Salt Lake City said about Meredith Marks, who is always just stirring rumors, she said, get a hobby. She said, collect trinkets or bird watch. Get something to do, okay? And, but I think also then an important point is that Regina's talking about her her mother and how her mother used to be a model. She was a well-known cover girl, you know, before she met Kurt, she gave it up, da, da, da. She always hoped Regina would model. She was very happy when she found, and Regina says she was very happy when she found out about Ingenue. I think it made a lot of things easier for her. You see, she was taking medication before I was born, and the doctors think that may have caused my deafness. Anyway, I think the modeling became kind of a symbol for her of something she'd done that I could never do. I don't think I've ever seen her as happy as the day I told her about the magazine cover. My read on this is it's giving us just some light to the family dynamic here. And remember when we saw, well, Elizabeth was, of course, stuck in a bunker and everyone else was at the big party at the Morrow's house and kidnapped. Of course. course. When we first went to the Morrow estate and we saw Skye and Kurt, the parents coming out, and Skye had a tight smile. And we wondered why she had a tight smile. You know, it seems like there may be something around some either overprotectiveness with Sky or some things based on this sort of guilt that she has around the deafness or whatever her own kind of Sky has some kind of complex about Regina, I think. Yes. Uh, it also gives us just more like kind of lineage parentage stuff that's happening, like in the same way that we have these kinds of questions about roger and who his parents are and like parental expectations and that kind of thing we get kind of a mirror here of regina's Mm -hmm. and regina's mom then todd gets all bitchy sorry to use that word but it is the only word we can think of like nagging her to find out what the secret is can we skip to the cotton dress oh my god we have to so jess goes over to olivia's and olivia shows her the dress that she made it says what do you think and then i just fucking love this part Hmm, Jessica said thoughtfully, touching the material with a practiced hand. Is it, she thought for a minute, cotton? Olivia nodded unhappily. The fabric that had struck her as so beautiful when she'd chosen it now looked perfectly ordinary. It was pale lilac, a color Olivia had always loved, with tiny white flowers embossed on it. It comes from Greece, she told Jessica, waiting anxiously for her reaction. I love this interaction because it's like, Jessica has a practiced hand, right? So even just something like evaluating, evaluating clothes is something that you can look practiced in, mm. touching clothes and saying, mm, is this? Mm? And then Olivia to try to keep up with the Joneses. Well, it is cotton, but it comes from Greece. 
she's trying to like be different or whatever but she's also trying to be like accepted by Jessica or whatever so it's like okay I'll have my cotton dress but it comes from Greece like but the thing is you can't use a half loop stitch on China Silk from Legally Blonde when the sales girl is trying to take advantage of Elle Woods and she's like oh you just got this in oh and it's a half loop stitch on China Silk <laughs> but the thing is you can't use a half loop stitch on China Silk Oh, is this low viscosity rayon? Uh, yes, of course. With a half loop top stitching on the hem? Absolutely. It's one of a kind. It's impossible to use a half loop top stitching on low viscosity rayon. It would snag the fabric. Jessica is my Elwood's fantasy. Well, she wants to be a lawyer. Or she did until that battle axe. Uh, oh, anyway. yeah. And then Jessica, like, again, pretends to be supportive. She's like, well, I think it's incredibly original. It's very simple, isn't it? And Olivia's like, yeah, I like it that way. And Jessica's like, okay, well, why don't you put it on? I'll help you with the hem. I'm sure it looks totally different when it's on you. This, again, is the negging, right? She's pretending to be nice, but she's saying like, yeah, put it on. I'll help you with the hem. I'm sure it looks different when it's on you. It's saying like, it looks bad now, but I'm nice because I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that I guess it must look nice when it's on you. And But obviously the hem is wrong. It's like so backhanded. But and also... The way that she says, she says only Olivia Davidson would dream of wearing a dress like this to the country club. The thing that's kind of interesting to me about this is Jessica actually doesn't like the dress and doesn't think it's appropriate. And so is actually giving her good advice, basically saying like, this would not be the right thing to wear. So based on Jessica's perspective, this is, it's not as if it's a beautiful dress that she is negging. She actually believes it's an inappropriate dress for the country club. And so in some ways she actually is helping. I guess the question is, what kind of help does Olivia want, right? right? The kind of help Elizabeth gives her later is says, you know, reinforces that she should be original and she should be different. And it's okay to wear something different at the country club. And this is a beautiful lilac dress. And of course you have to wear it. You know, that's one way to help her. Another way to help her is to say, well, according to the conventions and the norms, if you want to fit in, you would do it this other way. Those are different kinds of help, I guess, depending on what she's trying to do. And I think she doesn't know. Yeah. So sometimes she goes to dresses, sometimes she goes to Liz. Yeah, Because she's conflicted. True. Uh, we learned that there's a playwriting competition, which is right. Mr. Jaworski is doing a competition for, I guess, for the junior class, I think. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth is going to plan to enter that. And then we have um, interaction between Roger and Mrs. Patman, where she tells him that running isn't a social sport and it's, and he, basically his interests aren't good and that, like, he says he wants to be a doctor. Surely she couldn't disapprove of that, Roger thought. Oh, dear. I suppose it's a good profession, but it's so, so messy. Bruce has always wanted to go to his father's yeah. business, she added approvingly. And to me, this is a very clear piece of evidence supporting the reading of she doesn't like Roger because Roger is the illegitimate child of Henry. Because otherwise, why the fuck would she say that? Like, it's just, I, it doesn't make sense. What's confusing about that is, though, like, if he's the illegitimate child of Henry, what she's kind of implying is, like, you it would be better if you went into your father's business and that would be Henry's business, which she wouldn't want in the first place. I don't think she's even thinking that far ahead. I think no. she's just like, everything about Roger is bad. Okay. I so, do think it's really interesting. The the way that she keeps saying running is not a social sport. Mm -hmm. I think actually is like a pitch perfect reading of the way that the very wealthy use leisure. Like mm -hmm. the idea of golf or tennis, because you could meet with business associates and do that with them. Whereas running isn't like that. Yeah. And it's a thing that if you have that skill, it can get you into relationships networks environments mm -hmm. and patman's like i don't think you should bring olivia she's so awkward and then mr patman 
booms hello roger warmly puts his arm around nephew and basically like tells roger like don't let my bitch wife get to you like we're all happy to have you here this idea that Mr. Patman has been looking everywhere for Roger, just trying to make connection to his. And it's just, he's so clearly so, so, so empathetic and so nice. I guess Bruce, maybe Bruce has a father wound. Like the more he sees rotten, Mr. Patman warm to Roger, he's like, daddy, what about me? That's why he wears his tiny band-aid bathing suit. You think yeah. that's why? <laughs> then we get, finally, Ingenue magazine is going to be ready to come out and then we get this crazy scene where lila fall like so regina leaves with beige ferrari again lane townsend lila still doesn't know what's going on she follows them she she follows them to the office she goes in she realizes it's a modeling agency she finds out about the beauty contest and she's like well can i meet with him and she's like somehow i'm gonna meet with him and i'm gonna convince him that i should be on the cover but what's weird is yes she can meet with him the secretary's like sure how's friday what? Though, yeah, the story I told myself was that Ingenue is literally like, it's a pamphlet at the grocery store. It's very much like a local, it's like, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay. Um, I mean, they don't think of it that way, but so she like leaves and she comes back and meets with Lane Townsend and he's like, yeah, we found this, like, sorry, you couldn't enter the contest or whatever, but like, I found this amazing girl and she's beautiful. Plus she has a handicap. She has this amazing story, blah, blah, blah. And Lyle's like, oh, fine. And he's like, I understand, you know, all the girls want to model, but you really don't have the bone structure for it. If you saw photographs of yourself, you'd hate how it looked. So go do something else. Good luck. Whoa. <laughs> Bringing out the Tyra Banks of it all. One thing we haven't mentioned that is, I think, pretty obvious, but also the book makes it explicit. It actually says it. Is it the reason Lila cares so much about what's going on with Regina? And because she's so bothered about this ingenue thing is because she's threatened by her. Because Regina is another... Lila's the richest beautiful girl in Sweet Valley and now Regina's the richest beautiful girl in Sweet Valley and her mansion's even bigger plus people like her more yeah so and then Olivia's like Roger I'm not gonna come to the party like I can't handle it and Roger's like what and he's like and then like she drives away on her bike so sad and he goes into his new fancy uh garage pushing the remote control button also feeling sad and even though he has a remote control garage and she has only a poor little bike they both can feel sad then we get back to the Spanish tiled kitchen at the Wakefield some banter between Elizabeth and Alice about how long you're going to keep the fridge open. Such a classic mom line, though. Are you interested in anything in there, or are you just browsing? Classic mom joke. Jessica hears that Olivia basically sort of dumped Roger or said she's not going to go to the party with him and like runs over to the Patman's house as fast as she can to be like, I'm so sorry. I just want to offer my support. Brilliant. And him be, and then he's like, I just had a great idea. You could go to the dance with me and she's like what who me that makes no sense i don't even understand what you're saying how could it ever you mean come as your date and then when roger after jessica leaves and mrs patman asks roger what she wanted he said we're gonna go to the dance together and she's so excited that she rewards him by calling miranda to pour roger a glass of milk i love not only does this get us milk count obviously but i love that we see the status difference between new Roger Patman, and even our lovely split-level home Spanish Towel Kitchen, Wakefields, Miranda pours the milk. I love it. All right. Ba, 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 ba. Then we got Roger is in the closet in the, in the Patman's bed, bedroom <laughs> looking for cufflinks in, in Henry's drawers. And he's hidden behind a curtain or a door or some such, and he overhears Mrs. Patman 
on the phone to Mrs. Ferguson. Mrs. Patman tells Mrs. Ferguson, as if Mrs. Ferguson would care, that Roger's going with Jessica. And Mrs. Patman says, well, I don't know how Jessica did it exactly. She and I had a chat on the day of the barbecue, and I pointed out how entirely unsuitable I thought Roger's little friend was. Jessica seemed to understand me pretty well. The next thing I knew, she was taking the girl with her everywhere. And a week ago, Roger told me he was through with her. That's right, Marjorie. They're learning younger all the time. So I just want to really clarify that the the they who's learning is beautiful young girls are learning how to ensnare a man for his money. I love it. This is hashtag goals. I want to be Mrs. Patman. It's it is it's funny, but it, it is also kind of chilling because it's like, oh, does that mean Jessica's future is like Mrs. Patman? I'm like, yikes. Roger comes to the Wakefields, recruits Liz to come with him to get Olivia back. Jessica realizes, okay, he's done with me. She calls Neil and is like, it's your lucky day. You could take me. Then they go to the Davidsons, Liz and Roger. And we get an amazing, I think, description of the Davidsons home and which um, is a small, but very pretty ranch house. It has a flat red tiled Spanish roof complementing the white stucco facade. But so the inside of it is the cool part. Oh, oh sorry. The inside yeah. of it's wild. They go inside. Why don't you come into the garden, Mrs. Davidson suggested. This is beautiful, Elizabeth gasped, as Olivia's mother led them into the large rectangular garden that formed the center of the Davidson's house. It was closed over with a glass ceiling, and at its center was a marble fountain surrounded by plants and flowers. Mrs. Davidson smiled. My brother is an architect, and he designed this house for us when Olivia was born. And then Olivia comes in looking like the same way all of the, all the kids at Sweet Valley High when they're like, done bad by and they like get to that point where they're like broken down where they've been like mistreated but now they're like angry and like confident in themselves and like ready to be like fuck you she's in that mode so she's very calm and she's you know standing straight with her head held high and again elizabeth thinks she looks like a princess and she has some kind of ropes braided into her hair god knows what mm-hmm Roger says, I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. Roger tells Olivia about the scheme between Jessica and Mrs. Patman. And what I really liked about this is that Olivia and Roger, I think, both acknowledge that it wasn't only Patman and Jessica's fault. Like, even mm-hmm. though they were scheming, they both acknowledge that they had their own insecurities that otherwise wouldn't have been able to be exploited by them. So Roger speaks up. It wasn't all Jessica's fault. If I hadn't been so insecure about being a Patman, I would have never fallen for her little game. Olivia says, you're not the only one to blame. If I hadn't been so insecure, nothing Jessica said or did would have phased me. And then they're like happy and back together. And I'm like, and Roger says, you know, Patman money's not going to change me. And, and I want you to come with me to the party and show show them they can't change me. And we're still together. And I just liked that they both acknowledged that, you know, mm-hmm. like we're not going to just, yeah. Then Liz tells her she can wear her nice, pretty dress and, and Roger's going to be proud of you. And she's like, I feel like Cinderella. We get the reveal of the Ingenue magazine and somehow Jessica being like, Liz, you knew Regina was going to be on the cover of Ingenue. So you can't get mad at me about like scheming for Roger. Like somehow Elizabeth just sort of forgets or like doesn't yeah. give her a hard time about the Roger stuff. She's like, I can't stay mad at my twin. Like, yeah, Regina looks great. And like Todd called and he really has to talk to you. And it's something to do with Regina in the magazine. And we get this supposed like building tension that it, it when Elizabeth gets to the party, Todd's going to be so mad. She can tell him about the magazine. Like, who fucking cares? I don't want to hear well, about I, the magazine ever again. Could, could you imagine Todd being super upset about Ingenue magazine? Yeah, if he's a homo. <laughs> get a hobby. Get a hobby. Okay, they get to the party. Lila somehow is with a college guy named Drake. Don't I know. Is it Drake? I don't know. 
Uh, Mrs. Ferguson and Mrs. Patman is acting like a bitch to Roger and Olivia. And Mr. Patman, Mrs. Patman gets mad at Roger for sort of like not nothing. being obsequious to the Ferguson. Like, yeah, like but the, literally, this anything. is what he says. It's Mrs. Nothing, Ferguson, this is my girlfriend, Olivia Davidson. There was a little misunderstanding earlier, and luckily, Olivia was able to come after all. I'm very pleased to introduce her to you. I know it's perfect. It's perfect. It's nothing, yeah. But like Mrs. Ferguson obviously doesn't like it. Yeah, so Mrs. Patman are, yells at him for nothing. And then Mr. Patman comes in and lectures Mrs. Patman and basically gives her a dressing down and says, now hold everything. I think Ro Roger was admirable. He was polite. She was rude. She had it coming. We won't go into that song. Mrs. Patman stared at her husband, her face draining of color. So you do know Chicago. <laughs> now look here, Marie. Remember, the reason we're having this party is to welcome Roger into our family. What we have to remember is that it takes more than a party to welcome a new nephew. She's looking at the floor, flushing. And Roger says, you know, I guess at first it was hard for me. I was intimidated by you. That's why I've been nervous. And I haven't been acting like myself. I hope that's going to change now. And the first thing I want to tell you, now that I'm more or less myself again, is how happy I am to be part of your family. Hmm. Well, thank you, Roger, Mrs. Patman said somewhat stiffly. I guess we better go see our guests. And then Henry, quote unquote, Uncle Henry is like, give her a little time. Henry says, I'm proud of you. And, you know, uh, you haven't lost sight of who you are and you're a Patman, but you're also Roger. And so we're getting sort of integration of the identities. Remember, the reason that we're having this party is to welcome Roger into our family. What we have to remember is that it takes more than a party to welcome a new nephew. It's like he's reaffirming to Mrs. <laughs> Patman, if we live in the world that, that you're creating, which I believe. Don't worry, I'm not going to say son. I'm going to say nephew. He's always going to think he's just a nephew, even if he is really a son. Yeah, but also he's telling her, basically, suck it up. Like he's well, suck here. it up, but your lie will also stay. Yes, yes, yes. And that's why she's just like, okay. And then she stiffly gets up and walks away. They're all looking at Ingenue. Lila's jealous. Ba, ba, ba. We get Caroline again talking about Adam. I just got a letter from him this morning. She reads a letter from Adam. Do you want to read it? I do. My dearest Caroline, how I wish I could be with you tonight at the dance. But Caroline, as long as you know I love you, everything will be all right. You asked me the other day how much I loved you. Caroline, it's pretty hard to measure how I feel. Let me put it this way. I love you to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. And if you'll be mine, nothing shall ever keep us apart. I'll love you even more after our deaths. Obviously, we know that Adam's quote-unquote letter is Elizabeth Barrett Browning's sonnet number 43, which we all know better as, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Ways. So we are being set up from the very beginning to know that this is fake. We even get the hat tip earlier. Uh, Pardo mentioned that there's a play writing competition and Elizabeth's like, oh, my favorite poet, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And then we get this quote from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and we are at the cliffhanger. So when do we get to meet this guy? Lila demanded. He can't stay up in Cold Springs forever. Yeah, Caroline, invite him down. He can help me with my English paper next week. As a matter of fact, he is coming down, Caroline said defensively. Karen and Lila exchanged glances. When? I'm not sure, Caroline answered. Maybe next weekend. He's going to see if he can get the car. Maybe his soul can just sort of float over from <laughs> cold springs, Kara said, giggling. She and Lila opened the door of the lounge and walked back onto the dance floor. 
and Caroline walked slowly over to the mirror. She sighed, remembering the sound of Lila and Kara's laughter. Elizabeth had just come into the ladies' lounge, and she stopped short when she saw the strange expression on Caroline's face. Caroline, are you okay? I I'm fine, Elizabeth, she said weakly. But actually, Caroline didn't feel fine at all. This is going to be a long evening, she thought to herself. And something tells me that the week ahead won't be easy either. What is Caroline afraid of? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 17, Love Letters. Thoughts, feelings, predictions, concerns? I mean, I've said them. It's a, Adam's fake. I assume, so she builds up and builds up this fake guy. My hope is that it's like kind of the classic rom-com trope where she finds a guy to stand in and be her fake boyfriend and then they turn into real boyfriends. I Maybe there's like a dash of Jessica liking Adam, quote unquote Adam, and trying to steal him. Who's to say? All I'm going to say is it's a lot of fun. I can't wait. Thank you for this robust discussion. It, it felt robust, but also felt amazing. Thanks for listening to Sweet Valley Hive, hosted by Robert Marks and Rebecca Pardo. For more, check out our Instagram at Sweet Valley Hive. Theme song by Yessie and artwork by Elliot Carroll.